0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com.
1: Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner.
0: Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'll be joined by Unjali Young, and we're going to talk about community development with token gating. If you are thinking of starting an NFT project or a DAO, and you want to be thinking about how to create an incredible community around that project, you're going to absolutely love today's episode. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow us. We've got some great content coming your way. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Anjali Young.
1: Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide.
0: Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Anjali Young. And if you don't know who she is, she's a Web3 pioneer and co-founder of Land, a tool that helps project founders token gate their experiences and build trusted relationships with their communities. She's also the chief community officer at Abridge, a no cold tooling solution. Anjali, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Michael. GM. I'm so happy to be here with you. We've met twice. We got to meet at NFT NYC. I'm just really glad that we're finally doing this. So thank you for having me.
0: I'm very excited that you agreed to come. And folks, we're going to be in for a treat today. Today, we're going to explore how token gating allows the development of active and loyal and engaged communities. But before we go there, I want to hear your backstory. I know a little bit of it because you told me some of it, but the listeners don't know it. How did you get into NFT? Start wherever you want to start. Take your time. I can't wait to hear more about your story.
1: Thank you. Oh, gosh, where do I start? Okay. Well, I've been a part of online communities since 1992. So that's when I was a senior in high school. I was dialing up to BBSs in LA. I was going to meetups. There was no concept of internet. There was no concept of web. Like, these are all foreign concepts at the time. All I knew is I could dial up with my phone, with my modem. I could say meet people using all text and macros and just get to meet people based on my similar interests. And then we'd go to meetups and we would hang out in real life. And so that was kind of my first taste of like communities. Since then, I've just always been very, like an early adopter of community platforms, community software. It's just something that I've always gravitated toward, these online relationships. I don't want to say I didn't have people in my real world that didn't relate to me, but it was definitely too small. I felt that from a very early age, like there aren't enough people around me that feel the way I do that share my same interests or my same energy or my same beliefs. And so online communities have always been a way to like find your people. I'm an adoptive mom. I processed my entire adoption on LiveJournal starting five years before I adopted, going through the whole process of like, hey, are there any adoptees here? Are there any adoptive parents here? So I began relationships with adoptees because their parents were not on LiveJournal. And so these teenage girls who were you know, been adopted from when they were in their childhood. And now they were on Live Journal talking about all their angst. And I was on Live Journal talking about all my angst.
0: We should mention Live Journal was a blog platform, wasn't it? Isn't that what that was?
1: Yes. It was a blog platform, but you could like follow other people, comment on other people's journal entries. And so it was like a journaling platform, but it's a journaling platform that you could share. So this is like before Facebook talking about it. It's funny because that's probably what Facebook is now.
0: It's even before WordPress too, right?
1: Yeah. Before WordPress, before, yeah, I didn't really use WordPress much, but LiveJournal was just a place where my community was mostly women and girls got together and shared their innermost thoughts and then spoke to each other and commented on each other's innermost thoughts. It was all anon at that time. And I felt like it was a really safe place for me to share my innermost feelings about adoption, all my fears and my worries and all of that with other people who were interested in that. So I got to meet a lot of different adoptees at that time who I am friends with to this day and they have children themselves now and I'm, you know, I have two teenagers who are adopted very early on. I've just always been a enthusiast of online communities. So that's I'd say my background when it comes to why I'm here and why I'm doing this and why what this work is so incredibly meaningful, I would say that is the most important part of my backstory, which is I've always been a member of online communities from the beginning of the internet, pre-internet. I was a Facebook mod for a group that had 60,000 members. So, you know, all different levels of communities and interacting with people online and getting to know them and building relationship. That's just always been a really important thing to me the other day I was commenting on somebody's picture and they said, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't get to see you in Paris. And I said, no worries. It's the same to me. Like you and I talking right now, you sharing your pictures with me, me liking them, me having conversation with you. That's the same to me. Like in my world, in my life, you know, I'm 48 from the time I was 18. Like it's just been the same to me. And so I've always found a lot of meaning in online relationships. Many of my best friends I've never met in real life. And I don't know if I ever will, but they still know everything about me. So that I would say is the most meaningful part about how I came to NFTs.
0: I'd love to hear how did you actually like tell us a little bit. You got a crazy idea. How did you get the idea to get it? So
1: my husband is the founder of Abridged um, and he we started a bridge in 2018. I say we we self-funded it. And so it was our vision together. We started with a contract-based wallet. So for social recovery of your keys, private keys. Because at that time in 2018, it was like, how do we expect people to start using crypto? And really, that's what this has been about from the beginning, getting onboarding into crypto and having more people participate in this special new world that we're building. Anyway, so that's always been the main thesis of Abridged, which is how do we get people to join us here because we understand the value it unlocks. So the first part was this contract-based wallet to try to get people to have social recovery for their keys. So like you, Michael, could assign three people, like maybe your mom, your dad, and your sister. And then when they all come together, then you can get your private key from them. So they'd all have to agree. And then these are people that you chose and you trusted. And that way, if you lost your private key, your money just wasn't gone forever. So that was kind of the first way to say, "Ooh, how do we get people to join us here? However, nobody came. Nobody was interested. There, no, one was, no member users were coming to crypto because they're like, what is there to do in crypto? So unless you were like a speculator, a financial speculator, there was just no interest. So then we pivoted to this no-code tooling, which is what Abridged is today. So no-code tooling so that we said, okay, maybe if we invite developers to come into crypto and build dApps for people, then it's like build the buildings first. And then maybe the citizens will move in instead of asking the citizens to move into like a desert, deserted wasteland. And so. We started that in January of 2021. And so we were kind of working on that, trying to get some interest. We weren't getting very much interest, but, you know, still kind of plugging away, see if that maybe will be an angle to get people in to join us. And then in spring of 2020, that was COVID. And so it's like everything changed. The world shut down. You know, what do we do now? Like, how can we help? Everyone's feeling very helpless just really helpless. Like, what's happening in this world? This is something that I've never experienced before. You know, I lost loved ones to that first wave of COVID. People who had survived cancer, people who had survived heart disease, and like COVID, you know, got them. And so, this was just a an area, a time where everyone was very confused and very unsure, and how could we help? So we started a, a DAO called the Collab 19 DAO. And a DAO was, is a way, pretty much is like a shared wallet amongst a group of members. It's just a shared financial instrument. And so this DAO, we had people put money into the DAO, right? Like, so contribute to the DAO. So we had some funds. And then we were granting, giving grants to people who were suffering from COVID. So if, financially or lost a loved one that you were financially dependent on, you know, in whatever way we could help, we were grant giving from this fund, this DAO. And so the first problem that we actually had is like, how do we get these people to talk to each other? Because this is something that's very, very serious. Like these are people's stories, like they know somebody, their neighbor, their grandmother, their whoever, their teacher, like that would be a good recipient of a DAO or of a grant, but how do we get them in a room together and know who they are? Before this, DAOs were still, people knew each other in DAOs. I mean, it was still early days. And so this type of group, DAO, which is Decentralized Autonomous Organization, people knew each other. So right now, when you think of DAOs, it's like there's so many different people in DAOs and they may not have any cross-pollination. But before the spring of 2020, everyone was going to the same conferences, everyone was meeting up, like there was just this more of a closeness in that community. But when COVID happened, new people started entering into the space. And so we had new people joining our DAO that we didn't know. And so what do you do? How do you get to know people when all you have is their wallet address? Like, how do you get them all? Just how do you know them? And at that point, we weren't thinking about the value of knowing each other, which came later. But the initial value for us was we need to be able to communicate because what we're doing with this work, what we're doing with these grants is important. It's meaningful. We need to hear personal stories. We need to know who these people are. So we built the Collabland bot, and the Collabland bot was just a reference implementation of our no-code tooling. We were like, hey, this is a problem that we have that we'd like to solve for us, and by the way, it uses our no-code tooling, a bridge, so hey, maybe you'll want to make an app yourself using our no-code tooling. So the idea was not for Collabland to be the thing. The idea was for Collabland to show people how our no-code dueling is so robust that you could create something fun and interesting for your community or for your group of friends or for whatever project you're working on.
0: Bring people up to now. I mean, like, so you, you launched this tool with the intent that it was going to be just an example of your other product. But tell everybody what happened, because obviously it blew up.
1: Well, everybody wanted Collabland. That was it. Everyone's like, this is what we want. Forget your no code tooling. Who cares? We don't need to do any work. We're not interested in any of that stuff. I will say, up until now, maybe the future will be different, but we just want Collabland. So, the people that were in our DAO, like we're also in other DAOs. Like I said, this was a time of deep cross pollination within DAOs. And so, Collabland quickly became the DAO tooling for this new concept called token gating the idea to have being gating access, gating a chat based on a token in your wallet. So, this is You know, years before NFTs or anything like that. So these were just shares in a DAO, but it was a token that was represented on chain. So where we are now, we're at over 40,000 communities. We have over 6 million. I just checked yesterday, 6 million connected wallets. I mean, it's taken off and It's really a beautiful, exciting thing for us because, like I said, we were solving our problem, our need, and what has come out of this, what has grown out of this, what we've been able to witness and what we get to be a part of and what we get to enable has just been just one of the joys of my life. And I have so many.
0: Well, and there's a good chance that anybody listening, if you happen to own enough NFTs, you probably have gone into a Discord server where they've asked you to verify that you own the NFT and it's Collabland that's powering that, right? And Collabland can not just look at the NFT, but it can also look at the attributes of the NFT, right? Or how many NFTs you have in your wallet. And it can automatically label you as a whale in the project for holding X amount, or it can automatically kind of give you certain attributes based on traits. And it's a super powerful tool that a lot of NFT projects are using I would almost guess the NFT projects have become even the bigger client base or user base, and it's free. This is the other thing. For
1: sure. You know, we started off as DAO tooling, like I said, and then it kind of became for investment groups, like you mentioned Whale, Whale was one of the communities, but like if you own maybe 10,000 or 50,000 or 100,000 of a token, fungible token, like an ERC-20 token, then you got access into a chat for Whales. And then... There's deal flow happening there. Right. Because you know that you want the value of your token to go up and now you can get them all together. And you're sharing this deal flow, which is making people (laughs) make more money. Right. Because have more influence. And so then the value of your token goes up because it's like this membership to like a private club. And so that was investment groups. After that, it was social tokens, like FWB is another one that everyone can check out, like just social tokens. So again, still not NFTs, but social tokens where people come in, they can do different work together. So it's like DAOs, investment clubs, social tokens. You know, people are sharing book club, whatever, cooking recipes, like any kind of any social club that you would have online. But now in order to get into this social club with your what we call social token, which is what we initially thought may be the big thing, which who knows, maybe it still will be, because this is pre NFT. Yeah, so it's like you could get together. And again, this is all in the backdrop of COVID. So without that, I don't think this would have happened the way it happened. This is all in the backdrop of COVID, which is people are losing their jobs, and people are losing access to their real life in person relationships. And so it's like this perfect combination, this like, stew that's being created, that is perfect for crypto to gain momentum and popularity. Because I mean, all the years kind of coming up into that, we're very, very dark. You know, it's like, it's always been about like trying to get people to join. How do we get people to join? How do we get people to understand what this can be for their lives and for their families? And how do we do that? And so now because of COVID, it was like the environment was ripe for this to kind of bubble up together. So it was almost like, you know, right place, right time. We're solving a problem for ourselves. but
0: Very cool. There's going to be some people listening right now that might be a little skeptical about NFTs and Web3 in general. What do you want to say to them? Because obviously you've seen so much. You've seen, as you mentioned, tens of thousands of different communities that are utilizing um, your tool. Um, To businesses that are maybe in the discovery phase or curious, what's the upside for them to have a Web3 experience or an NFT project, for example, what's your, what's your take on that?
1: I mean, there's lots of different ways to approach this. And, you know, saying skeptical of NFT is like, you have to remember, you and I have, were both there at the beginning of the internet. You know, my first job out of college, I worked at an internet startup. At that time, scams, phishing was rampant. And a lot of people were like, this is a fad. This is a scam. No one's going to do this. This is all baloney. And then we had the big drop and high change careers at that point as well. So it's like just the same as that saying skeptical of NFT is a tough one because skeptical of NFT were Are you skeptical of the internet? Are you skeptical of money? Like all of these things can be used for good or bad. So I don't know how to answer that specifically, but how can brands benefit from NFTs? Oh boy, in so many ways, but I'll give you the most basic one, which is not even about community, but it's like a certificate of authenticity. You know, I like to buy designer bags, for example. And so it's like when I buy my designer bag from the store, then I get an NFT issued from that brand that has the certificate number on it. My bag has a certificate number on it. Now, if I'm selling it to somebody else, I can say, this is an authentic bag. And they'll say, why is it an authentic bag? And I'll say, look, I have the certificate, an NFT. And you can see who it was issued by. It was issued by brand X. And so it's like that concept. It's like, you're really, that's just one small example of how you can fix a problem that is like, Millions or trillions of dollars every year, people lose money to that sort of thing. Another thing you can do is mobilize and empower people who are supporting you. I don't even know if I want to call them customers. Right now in the old world, we would call them customer, we call them audience. But now it's like they can engage with you directly through NFTs, through these token granted access portals, whether they're in real life or they're online. You can have them anywhere you want. And They can not only connect directly with you, but they can connect directly with each other. I mean, part of the beauty of the blockchain is you don't have to be the person who created the NFTs to be in charge of the NFTs. Like if Michael Stelzner has a crypto business NFT and he sells 10,000 of them, and now I am like, oh, I'm a Michael Stelzner super fan. This community that he has is too general for me. I want to make my own community of Michael Stelzner fans. And it's only going to be specifically about the gray shirts he wears on Thursdays, because I love those shirts. And I want a group with people who only (laughs) love those shirts. So I can create my own community. I don't need your permission. I am reading the public blockchain just like everybody else. There is nothing more public than the public blockchain. So... What you're doing is you're empowering and encouraging your fans to kind of spread your message, not only within, for you, direct relationship, but they're almost like marketing on your behalf. You're allowing them to create an identity around their love or support for you as well.
0: By the way, I love that because one of the projects founders that I've had on on here is a guy named Manny Coates, who's the founder of uh, Bulls and Apes NFT project, and they do use Collab land. And they've got these trait communities. So they've got like the stoner club, which happen to be the bulls that have stoned bodies. But some of them have like their eyes are like stoned, you know, like literally. And then there's these other ones called the royals. And the royals are people that have certain kinds of crowns. And then there's also some that have nothing to do with traits at all they just have to do with a certain subsegment of the community and they're they're essentially creating these little communities within the bigger community of the 10,000 NFTs of the project and they're kind of if you will developing small little groups that are getting to know each other and hosting their own like spaces and and interacting with each other and it's community like on steroids which i love and you know i want to ask you you know you mentioned the word token gating earlier right and it's a concept that kind of makes sense, but some people might not understand what it is and what its advantages are. Maybe break it down. Like, what is token gating? I believe you invented token gating, but like explain it in a way that anybody can understand what it means.
1: Token gating is creating a criteria, qualifications, rules, so that if someone owns that token, whether it be a fungible token, non-fungible token, you know, later on, maybe we'll talk about verifiable credentials. But if they have a certain asset, this is an online asset that we're talking about. Then they have access to a certain role, a certain channel, maybe a certain real life event, whatever it is. It's like you're using your token, which is your online asset in order to join a community, or I should say, yeah, a token. It's just a token. So in order to have that token, which is readable because it's on the public blockchain, that's what Collabland does. So for example, I'll break it down super simple. If you enter a chat platform, in this case, let's say Discord, because that's where most of our communities are. We have a handful that are on Telegram, but by far the largest percentage are on Discord. And so you enter into a Discord channel. On Twitter, maybe there's Michael Stelzner's Discord link in his bio, on his Twitter bio. And you think, oh, I want to be a part of Michael Stelzner's community. So I click on that. I join Discord. And there's going to be a channel for Collabland Join. Usually it's called Collabland Join. You join it and then you connect to your wallet And Collabland asks for a read-only message signing. So what you're doing when you sign that message is you're saying, I own this wallet. You can associate me, my Discord ID, to this public wallet address. There's no access to anything in the wallet. All you're telling us is that this public wallet address that is visible to everybody on earth is also allowed to be readable by Collabland in association with this Discord ID. So now we've read your contents of your wallet. Again, it's not in your wallet. It's on the public blockchain. Sometimes I think the word wallet is misleading. But anyway, that's another podcast. So we're reading the assets that are listed in your public wallet. And we see, oh, he owns a gold fur ape. Then you're going to get the gold role. And then once you get the gold role in that discord, maybe there are certain channels that are only available to the people who have gold rule member. And so that's an example of how Collabland works, which is we read your public wallet address in order to provide you roles or access to a channel in either Telegram or Discord that then unlock access to different channels within that Discord server. So if you think of a server as like a town hall, then there's going to be different rooms that are discussing different things. And so maybe there's a rooftop, maybe there's a um, mezzanine, you know, there's all these different rooms in this town hall and you have access into those rooms based on what your role is. And so collab determines what your role is based on what the administrator wants.
0: And what I love about it is it's kind of a one-time thing, right? And you do it once, you don't have to do it again. And if this NFT leaves your wallet somehow automatically it knows that, right. And it gives you And it removes access like so many of these NFT projects have kind of public access sections and then for verified owners, you know, that happen to own the project, right? So you can create within discord, different experiences for people that are looky lose versus people that own, you know, the NFT versus people that have certain attributes to the NFT. And if people start to like, in their mind, understand how complicated this is to do outside of tokens. It's really complicated. Like if you've ever had a service that you've sold online and you have people log in, you know, and it just gets really complicated to track this "quote unquote" membership, if you will. And what's great about your tools, it kind of just does it in the background. That's right. What I love about this is the community development side of it. And you said so many times that community is kind of what you're you're most passionate about. So talk to us a little bit about how token gating can be used to develop really amazing community. Maybe you've got some examples. Maybe you've got some advice that you want to give to people because it's one thing to own a token, an NFT. It's another thing to actually have a real connection inside of communities, right?
1: That's right. And it's really interesting because this is like a live and learn situation. But initially when we started, you know, it was hard to kind of imagine a world where somebody's financial asset something they paid for, right, and maybe they're hoping will go up, would be the foundation for a meaningful connection and a meaningful relationship. And yet that's what it is. Um, So token gating itself, because it removes, I mean, there's a couple of different reasons, but one is if you've been around online communities long enough, you know about trolling. And who are trolls? They're people that are only there to stir stuff up right? They're there to get attention and to stir stuff up. Well, when you all own the same financial token and you're all there because you want it to go up, there is, for one thing, you don't want trolls. And this is the fastest, easiest way to get rid of trolls because in order to be a troll, you actually have to buy the token. And so there's some, I'm not saying there's no trolls at all because people have trollish behavior and we can get to that in a second, but what an amazing way to weed out trolls. Like if you if you talk to any community manager outside of crypto, they'll tell you that's a huge chunk of their time is just managing trolls. And so now you don't have that. Access is only for people who own this token, which means you have to have skin in the game. You have to buy into the project first. And so that weeds out one level of issues that makes crypto communities different. As far as trollish behavior, the admins in the community can decide to get rid of somebody, to ban somebody. They're not taking away their financial asset. They're not taking away their NFT. I mean, if the community continues to grow and prosper and innovate and whatever happens with it, the person who is no, no longer in that community is still going to benefit from that. However, if the community decides that this is not a voice that we're interested in hearing, they can be banned just like anybody else. So in that way, token gated communities are already superior. Like if you talk to, like I said, from the old world, like vastly superior, like that should be enough to convince people to give it a try.
0: Talk to me a little bit about what World of Women has done with Collabland, because I'm pretty sure you told me that they're one of the people that are using the tool. How are they creating, from your experience, from what you recall, how are they creating community using some of these token gating things we've been talking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, World of Women was my first NFT. So what it started with Collabland is me, literally every new project that's coming out, on when I see them on Twitter, me as a Collabland account, now I don't DM anyone. So if anyone DMs you saying they're Collabland, it's They're full of baloney. Ignore them because it never happens. But at that time, I was literally DMing every single new community that I saw. or It wasn't called a community. Every new NFT project I saw on Twitter, because that's really where um, crypto lives right now is on Twitter. That's where we share information. That's where we we've just been there from the beginning. And so anyway, so I was on Twitter as well, running the Collabland account. And seeing new NFT projects come up, you know, like once a week, once every two weeks, I was literally DMing them and saying, hey, there's this tool we have, Collabland, where you can get everybody that owns your NFT into a Discord together. Like I was offering Discord because it was more robust than Telegram and it still is. And so I was like, can get them into Discord together. And then you can grant them access based on their ownership. Now, at that point, it was just balance of like whether you owned it or didn't own it. That was where we were at in terms of like the evolution of land, which is still growing. But at that point, it was just balance of you have it, you get in, you don't have it, you're out. And so World of Women was my first NFT. Before that, there were a couple of other projects, but they just didn't appeal to me. I don't know, as a middle-aged mom, I don't know, whatever, all my different identities. Like I just didn't feel like inspired to buy them and pay my hard-earned ETH for any of them. I was like, no, thank you. But when World of Women came out, I was like smitten. I was pretty smitten. So I immediately bought, I didn't get to mint them, but I bought them when they were like at ETH, 0.15 ETH cheap compared to right now they're at about three and a half ETH. So, you know, but also we're in a bear market right now. So at one point they were up to 10 ETH, you know, it was, it's been all around anyway. And so I reached out to them. Yes, they're interested. Got on the phone with one of their founders. He was in Paris. I remember I was so nervous. Like I remember during that zoom call, I felt like, like I was going to meet, I was meeting a celebrity. His name was um, BBA. He's on Twitter. And I remember feeling like so nervous. And then he wasn't even on camera. He was like, he had dialed into it. And I was like, Oh my God, I spent all this time, like trying to look pretty and, you know, so excited. And then I didn't really even get to, I didn't get to see him at all. And I still don't know what he looks like anyway. And so I talked to him about Cloudland, and then we formulated, I begged my dev team and I said, look, they have these special clubs. Like if you have the world of women that with the double earrings that had, and I don't remember them anymore, but it was like the collector, there was like a curator club and a royalties club and an investment club. And so they had these special NFTs within the world of women collection that if you own those, you got like a percentage of the royalties or you got to decide like how to spend the money that was building up in the treasury from secondary sales. Right. So it's like there were lots of different roles based on the NFT. So I said to this, person, BBA, I said, hey, we will do metadata gating based on these three clubs. Can we do that? Like, this will be really fun. And that way, when you buy the NFT, you get access to the special. Like now it sounds basic and we all do it. But at that time, it wasn't basic. And so I went to my developers, who at that time was our CTO and my husband, the CEO, and said, hey, can we do this? Can we hard code these things for like these special groups that I'm involved in? And so, yes, that's what we did. So from the beginning, they've been having metadata getting from like the beginning of the discord, like everything else people got, you know, this year or at the end of last year. But with World of Women, because I was in that community, I was able to, you know, be kind of like on the ground to like try to help and see where that could go. As far as what have they done since then? I mean, they've done so much. Like when I was at NFT NYC, Michael, where I met you, I went to a Madonna concert. Madonna. I was born in 1974. I am a child of the '80s. I was in sixth grade in 1986 and in eighth grade in 1988. I mean, Madonna is like my first everything. Like,
0: does she own one of the NFTs? Do you know if she's actually an owner? Or not?
1: Oh, I don't know if she's one of the owners.
0: But that was a great experience that they obviously created exclusively for people who held the NFT, right?
1: Yes. And like Ape had Snoop Dogg and Eminem. Like their very first time they rapped together and their song, you can find it on YouTube. Like the music video, it's so cool. And there was a moment where we were like, because we own a board, like my husband owns a board ape, but you know, when we bought it, it was $120,000. So we own a board ape. There was a time that we were like, oh, should we sell it? Should we not sell it? And then I said, hey, look at this video and then tell me if you want to sell it. And then he looked at the video and he's like, forget it. I'm never selling it. I mean, look at that, like a real life experience to token holders that make you not want to sell an asset that Right? Like, I don't even know what to say about it. It's like, so World of Women has done a lot of things too. Like, my heart is with World of Women now. Like, from the beginning, it was because they were the ones that pulled me into NFTs as just not just as an outsider. I was seeing it kind of more like a, oh, this is cool community building. This is going to be neat. People can get together. But it wasn't until I bought an NFT or, you know, bought that World of Women NFT and joined the NFT community. And then that started me down a whole road where now I have, you know, hundreds.
0: You called it metadata. I think most people on OpenSea are going to call it traits or whatever, right? But it sounds like what your tool, which we should clarify, is free, allows projects to do is to, like, because every, nowadays NFT projects have all sorts of attributes, right? Like, Like there's, you know, skin color, there's hair color, in the world of women, because I happen to have a couple of galaxies. There's hats and earrings and just all sorts of things. All these can be what you refer to as metadata, what other people refer to as traits, right? So I would imagine if people can get creative with this, this is where like they can do some cool stuff. Have you seen any other communities do cool stuff with traits?
1: I mean, yes. So like one of our early supporters was NBA Top Shot. And so, for example, their first collab so they had a Discord for before we knew about them they came to us and they're like hey we really would like to do this because we want token holders to be able to come together and their first implementation of collabland was for the cool cats collection and once the cool cats chat discord channel opened that was only available to the cool cats the price went up 40 percent. so it's like people want to get together people find real value in being able to be with people who find the same things important that they find important. So, you know, people are gamifying it all the time. I couldn't even tell you all the really cool, fun things that people are doing with communities. But if you're a business and you want to get into this space, like what should you do? You should definitely align yourself or get involved with crypto natives. Being an outsider in this space is okay. We welcome outsiders. We want from the beginning, our mission has been join us. This is the way. At least having your initial team be crypto-native people, crypto-native admins, crypto-native mods that can guide you through the process goes a long way. Another tip I have for brands is once you have your like crypto-native like, jumpstart group, the best way in order to grow your mod team, because having mods is still really super important, like you want mods that are connected to the community and want to do service work is to pull your super fans from your community. You're going to find the ones that talk the most, the ones that have the most engaging tweets, the ones that are doing fun things with the art. Like you're going to Eventually, people are going to bubble up that are going to be the most engaged. And that's your group that you want to be able to cultivate to be part of like your leadership team. So that would be my advice for brands as far as like NFT communities.
0: Love it. And for those that don't know what mods means, it's moderators, just translating some of this language. You hinted at verified credentials a little bit earlier. So what I would love, I'm going to ask this question, where is everything going? And go ahead and kind of look into the future and tell us where it's going. And if verified credentials are part of that story, like share with us where you see all of this space evolving.
1: I will preface that by saying there's so much happening. I do not have my eye on everything. Um, I can share with you from my perspective and my experience, what thesis I've developed for online communities initially, first part, and then I'll talk a little bit about verifiable credentials. But as far as what I see is in terms of like an evolution of online communities, it is not one thing. Like, it's not like, oh, my community is on Discord, or my community is on Telegram, or my community is on Platform X, like that is doing token gating. Like, that's not how I imagine this is going to go. I imagine, like I spoke a little bit about earlier, it's like now that people have found each other, they're going to want to grow. They're going to want to develop and they're going to want to expand. So I almost imagine is communities are going to have a hub, like maybe Discord will be their hub, They'll, that'll be their town hall. And then maybe the developers or the builders or the engineers are going to want to move to GitHub and have all of their work there. Maybe there's going to be people that are interested in marketing and PR and they're going to want to move their ideas to Notion. Um, maybe there's going to be people that are specifically interested in merch and they only want to talk about like, what can this NFT project do with their merch? Like you're not going to want to go to Discord in order to just talk about your one, specific issue i imagine it being more like working groups and also social groups like people that want to watch their favorite japanese anime together like it could be anything so i imagine a world where people are taking their communities with them wherever they go that's what i imagine because i i believe this is it this is the future for now like this is it for humanity no but this is it for what we've got now and we're just at the beginning of it like it is what we can become what can happen once you unlock the ability for people to have these aligned financial assets and what can they create out of that like i imagine a world where we find solutions for climate change you know because now we have our the internet which has already done so much great things to bring us all together and have this shared mind this shared Place where we can go and ask anything like, Oh, was that bug poisonous? Or can I eat this fruit that's on my neighbor's tree? Like, and those are really things I Google. <laughs> like, now we have our own money. Like, now I can work with you and work with somebody that's in South America and work with somebody that's in Tokyo. And now we have the money that we can share together. Like, I don't know how that is going to stop. That's why I believe in this. And I don't know what the future can be when you are able to, like, have this kind of human coordination at this level. So I don't know what's going to happen. I think great things are going to happen. This is, I will say the first time in my life, I have felt like I wish I could live longer. I've never felt that way before, but now, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm almost 50. Like I wish I had another hundred years just to see what's going to happen with this. What will this be? Like, what are we going to be able to do together? All of us without like these political boundaries and these financial boundaries, like What are we going to be able to accomplish? It's just overwhelming to think about. You know, I'm sure like the Wright brothers probably felt that way about airplanes. And now look, right? We're flying all the time everywhere and they didn't get to see it. So in that same way, I like get a little bit teary-eyed thinking about what the future can be. And that I won't be able to see it, but I'm just so excited to be able to be a part of it at all. Okay, your next question, I don't remember.
0: Verified credentials.
1: Right, so now what do we do? So now, like I said, this wasn't the original plan. We were just like, oh, what? You want this tool? Oh, you think this is useful, what we're doing? Okay, so let's just do that. So, like, our first, like, fork in the road was, like, we have roots in DAOs. DAOs have been a really meaningful part about the Abridged story. My husband, who's the founder of Abridge, he was one of the creators of Dow, M-O-L-O-C-H, which is one of the first DAO platforms. He was one of the founding members of Meta Cartel, M-E-T-A-C-A-R-T-E-L, which is um, a, one of the oldest DAOs. And so, like, we have really deep roots in DAOs. So now it's, like, the first kind of... Fork in the road was: do we keep going up the Dow stack, or do we grow wider? And I argued for, and thankfully. Um Raymond Fang, who is our CTO and also a co-founder and my husband, James, like they said, okay, let's give this a shot, mainly because I'm like, look, this is a new type of community. I have never seen this type of community before. Like these people are coming together with these financial assets and they're building real relationships. And I've never seen anything like this before. So can we please grow wider and support more and more chains instead of going up the Dow tooling and just catering to a really specific part of the industry, which it's truly meaningful and I'm going to get to in a minute, but that was like our first question. So when we build Outward, now we support more than 15 blockchains, NFTs on all of them. I get inbound requests every day for new blockchains because now that NFTs are more popular, everyone wants to bring NFTs to their chain. And now that NFTs are on that chain, having a community is like a no brainer. So it's like you have your own Michael Stelzner's blockchain and people are have NFTs on your blockchain. But if there's nobody providing a service to get those people together in a room, then who cares? It's almost like the value of the NFT and the value of the community has almost come hand in hand. So now all of that to say, like I said, we're at six million connected wallets, over 40,000 communities. We have this eagle's nest view, right? This bird's eye view of all of this. Now we have all of this information. Like we know when you joined a community, we know how long you've been in the community. We know if you, how much you've spoken in the community, whatever in that community, your mem- what roles you've had in the community. And so what can we do now with this information that is going to be helpful and serving of the members of our community? And what we believe is this next version. And a lot of it comes from, you know, the Just responding to the scams as well, right? Like, who is who in crypto? Who is who when you don't know what they look like and you've never met them before and you have no idea? Like, how do we provide value for these members so that they can start to create a crypto resume, a crypto reputation? that they can take with them anywhere they want. And Collabland, because of how prolific we are, how we're used in so many different communities, we're in the position to attest to what you've done. And so maybe you joined World of Women, maybe you minted World of Women, you know, and maybe you got a role that the community said the first hundred minters get like an early adopter badge. And so now you have that role in the Discord. Well, now you've sold your World of Women, let's say, for example, now what? can you ever prove that you were an early adopter of World of Women? Like, will anybody ever know Michael called it? He knew when he first heard about it on Twitter, he knew that was going to be something special. Like, how do you prove that? When you just base it on online identity, on just your token, you're very limited. One thing we can do is we can attest to what you've done. So now Collabland will issue you a verifiable credential, which is like an off-chain NFT. It still uses cryptography. So it shows that Collabland is the issuer and Michael Stelsner is the recipient. And that is an off-chain NFT that you can share at your will. I mean, an important part of this is privacy. You know, issuing an on-chain attestation. Maybe you don't want people to know. You know, like what might be in fashion now, maybe five years from now, Something, some scandal happens and you don't want people to know that you had this early adopter role. I mean, of course, I'm just using an example. I don't expect anything to happen. Um, But what I'm saying is that public opinion changes or maybe you got verifiable credential from a certain college and that college is for a specific group of people. Maybe you want to share that with some people, but you don't want to share that with other people, especially, you know, being a woman. Like maybe I went to a woman's college and yet I'm having a harder time because of that. And so I want to only share it with certain jobs. And also maybe I'm starting my own NFT project. At that point, maybe I do want to publish all of my verifiable credentials online. Maybe I want to mint each one of those suckers. So now it's on this public database that everybody can see. If I'm starting my own NFT project, I want to do that. But if I'm wanting to join a DAO, if I'm wanting to get a job somewhere, like maybe I want to be able to have control over who I share my information with. So we're moving into verifiable credentials as a way to remove the gatekeepers of the traditional world. Right now, if I work for you and I apply for a new job, they're going to check with you. And it's like, you're going to tell them what you tell them. But everything that I did, everything that I accomplished, is dependent on what my word, your word, like people suffer from that.
0: I love that. I love that. Anjali Young, you are a rock star. And I've told you this multiple times. If people want to reach out to you on one of the social platforms like Twitter, where do they find you? And if they want to check out Colab land, where do they go to find that?
1: On Twitter, I am Dama Roca. D-A-M-A-D-E-R-O-C-A. It's lady from Boulder in Spanish, if you're Spanish speaking. It's pretty, I'm just just being myself. So if they're looking for like alpha or if they're looking for like any kind of deep discussion about any of this, it's definitely just be, me being myself. Collabland is collab on Twitter. We're collab underscore land underscore. We also own Collabland, C-O-L-L-A-B-L-A-N-D, but Twitter is not being cooperative in moving us over. So you'll, you can go to either of them and then just, you know, read where we are, which is collab underscore land underscore. Our website is collab.land. We haven't spent a penny on marketing. And I think I told you that, Michael. It's just been all word of mouth. I'm so, you know, if I can thank our communities, like our admins, like because they find our service valuable. Um we haven't had to do any kind of marketing. If you find us and you need us, then you use us. And so that's kind of been the the way. And now like I'm doing this more to talk more about it because I'm just so can't keep it in it anymore. But yeah, that's the best way to find us is on Twitter.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. And for those that are listening, if you don't know how to spell Anjali, it's A-N-J-A-L-I. And then her last name is Young. Really appreciate you coming on the show today.
1: Thank you, Michael. It's been delightful. I, I'm i just having the best time. Thank you.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C34. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know about this show. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. And may Web3 continue to change your world.
1: The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.
0: The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.